Jesus life Whose death can set the captive free His name will stand forever Lifted high for all to sing Jesus our God, our Lord, our King Brighter than a million stars His love is shining, calling every broken heart No matter fighting, healing for the hurting And freedom from the dark He is brighter than a million stars Yeah, yeah His grace is so up this love is so complete This mercy sets the prisoner free Oh, and brighter than a million stars His love is shining, calling every broken heart Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting And freedom from the dark he is brighter than a million stars. His love is shining over you and me. Reminding us that He has set us free. Yeah, His love is shining over you and me and he has set us free yeah he has set us free who yeah. oh, and brighter than a million stars Love is shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting, and freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. Oh, and brighter than a million stars. His love is shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting. Freedom from the dark, He is brighter than a million stars. Yeah, yeah. Oh, His love is brighter. Yeah, His love is brighter, brighter, brighter than a million stars. Good morning, Carpenter's Way. There's more of you still spread out, but more of you in the room, and uh, we want to greet those of you that are watching online. We are glad to have you joining us with us this morning. Actually, on stage, there's a guy over here I haven't seen in a long time, Mel. Did you have hair last time I saw you? Did it fall off, or did you shave it off? You shaved it off. It's been, I mean, I realized this morning, I haven't seen you in four months or something like that. You're, you're like, look 90% the same. You don't look any older. 
But you look at, and in Justin, we've seen you periodically, but it's good to have you here this morning. And the rest of you, I don't mean to downplay you being here, but I see you all the time. But uh, every, it seems like every week as more of you come, I see people I haven't seen in a few months. And it looks like for most of you, you haven't gained too terribly much weight. And uh, uh, wow, I probably shouldn't have said that right at the beginning. If you have, you can keep watching online until you lose that. <laughs> Anyway, we're, we're glad that it's so nice to see you guys, and uh, it's nice that you continue online watching. I have had quite a few emails from people explaining kind of where you're at, and I appreciate that. It helps us as a staff pray for you. Feel free to write us as you had need, but I just, um, uh, I just want to encourage you. Man, this is such a big couple weeks. School is starting. That means homeschool parents are... Um, a little bit uh, proud of themselves. They, they don't have to worry about masking up over the next couple of weeks, but we have lots of teachers in our church. We have lots of administrators and uh, kitchen workers and bus drivers, and so this is kind of a unique time. Uh, I have a daughter-in-law that uh, teaches as well and uh, goes back next week, has already started with her training for this year, and uh, I don't know that any of you will really know what it looks like until you actually jump in. And uh, that's, that's okay. This is your mission field. That's pretty much how mission work works. You think you have a path, you think you have an understanding, and then God says, no, I want to show up in different ways. So we want to remind you that you are all you're doing is going back into your mission field. And we're praying for your safety. We're praying for your health. Uh, and uh, it'll be good for you not to watch so much news uh, because the news is good that we have been sent into the world in the same way that Jesus was to give hope to the hopeless. So go give it. Go get it. Uh, go get it done, and, and, and we love you, and we're praying for you. In, in a moment, we're going to be praying uh, together for you as teachers, and admi- I'm not just talking about teachers, talking about administrators, talking about homeschool parents. Uh, lots of responsibility is kicking in, and in this climate, it's a, it's a very strange time. So we want, we're praying for you. Um, I do want to mention, um, keep stay involved, Carpenter's Way, folks. Uh, I know that it's it's a weird season, and for now, we're going to keep every other week. We're encouraging you to come by way of a Bible study. If uh, keep all, all, We'll keep sending out to your Bible study the schedule so it's no longer every three weeks, it's every other week. Um, if you don't have a Bible study, just come. Uh, we're not trying to keep people away. We're trying to keep everybody social distanced and, and safe. And, and so if you don't have a Bible study, y'all come and, uh, and we'll find a place for you. We just, we just want you to worship the Lord with us as long as you feel safe. And I know that many of you are taking care of aged parents, so you're trying to, to keep uh, uh, healthy and, and I guess the word clean works for them, and we certainly get that. But please be in touch with us. As, as you are learning and growing and have thoughts and questions, do not be afraid to email us. Mark at cwbc.org is my email, and you can text me. Most of you have my cell phone number, and if you don't, I'd be glad to give it to you if I know you. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, but we love you, and, and we're all here to serve. So um, while this weird season continues... Uh, we're going to continue to update our missions program through Facebook, so, so be, uh, make sure you like our church Facebook page, Carpenter's Way Baptist Church on the Facebook, and uh, we're doing videos so that you know what's going on. And we, uh, It was neat this week because Pastor Jared and Pastor Robert were able to do a video this last week interviewing Cassidy. Uh, and then she does it next week. I'm going to put out another video by Cassidy where she just explains her ministry. Some of you don't know what she does. And, and uh, so we'll be putting that out. We're going to keep that in front of you. And since we can't do it on Sunday mornings, we're going to do more of our mission moments or continue doing those online. Um, I want to remind you that there's lots of opportunities for you to fellowship with other believers, which is significant at this faith. 
Really important that we have fellowship. Women's Bible studies, uh, there's some in person, but most of them are online, and I know that's weird with Zoom, but we will get you set up, and you can interact with other ladies. Men, our Tuesday morning men's timeout at this point is still on Zoom. That's probably going to end in the next few months, uh, next month or two, but uh, in, in, and meet in person. But no matter where you are in the country, uh, if you're not able to go to your church and you're looking for fellowship, whether it's women or men, uh, men's Bible studies, we, we want you involved. And uh, we have people from Dallas and other places that are jumping in. We've had folks as far as North Carolina jump in and, and be on those. So we want to encourage you that we have opportunities for you to encourage each other. Um, keep serving others with food. We have folks coming out of surgery that, that we're helping with meals and as you're able to. And, and even with that, we're not asking you to go into their home. Most of the time, you'll just set it on the porch and I guess put a dog whistle or something. No, you'll ring the doorbell and run. You couldn't do that as a kid, but you can now. Go ahead and toilet paper their front yard if you want, but thank you both of you that laughed at that. Uh, anyway, that, that's, that's where we're at. And uh, any minute now, Chad's going to start playing the guitar, which is my code for you've talked too long. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and pray for you. Thank you for your faithful giving. Um, it's, it, it, we're able to continue our support and taking care of our bills and paying missionaries and taking care of them and taking care of the staff. That's because you've been faithful and we encourage you to continue to do that. Thank you. Even while you haven't been here, it's been pretty remarkable and we're blessed because of that. So uh, with all that, um, one thing, there's a lot, of, there's a lot now of, of, of more debate and more pastors coming out going, you got to just forget coronavirus. I almost said canola virus. Um, but you got to forget that. Just, just go back to the way it was. Whatever you think about that, let me just say this. The church isn't just when we gather. You are the church. So be the church. Nobody's keeping you from being the church. If you need fellowship of other believers in person, feel free to invite somebody for dinner. You can do that. Um, you can. Well, don't, don't, wait for the, don't wait for the administrators of the church to organize the church for you. Be the church. Go, go serve the Lord. Go fellowship for the Lord. Go share Christ with people because that's what we do. It's not really in here. This is encouragement. It's out there that, that matters. So that is what you're doing, teachers. That's what you're doing, bus drivers. You are, God is sending you back into culture, and I know you're afraid for health, some of you, and I know you're wondering what it looks like. That's okay. Mission work has always been out of man's control, fully in God's control. With that, let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that you would take people like us and do more than save us, but call us to serve you. I thank you for the study that we're in uh, on the life and ministry of Jesus, and as we, as we get close to ending that, Father, I pray that the study of Scripture would be very impactful for us. Lord, may we understand in a deeper way what you have done on our behalf. Lord Jesus, this week we have... Uh, most of, our, most of our teachers, most of our bus drivers, most, most of those that, that uh, are called to serve in, um, in the public school setting as well as homeschooling are going to be kicking all that up this week. And there is just an unease, Father. Um, you've, you, you don't always take the unease away, but you call us to serve with our eyes on you in our anxiety. Uh, you call us to turn our, our concerns over to you. You call us to seek first your kingdom. And I pray this week, as things will certainly get weirder, as they start figuring things out in the school systems, uh, in homeschool, in all of those arenas, Lord Jesus, may we keep our eyes firmly on you as we serve in this time and place. Thank you for calling us for such a time as this. Your Holy Spirit within us is so uh, able to make us uh, capable for the task but only as we surrender control and focus to you. So I pray we would do that. So for the men and women of this church that serve you in that realm, 
May this be a very special week for them as they experience your peace, your hope, and your joy. So now we turn our eyes away from life and to you, to our life in you. And we ask you to bless us this morning and minister as we sing and as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall, and I wonder where it Grace, amazing grace, unfailing grace, that saves my soul.
lift him high, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us free.
all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. I know what it's like to try to earn his love. I know what it's like to feel you're not enough. Running from the sin that you can't hide and the guilt you feel. Trying to sleep at night He came and found me at my very worst He gave me life that I did not deserve I am forgiven now by His good grace Because of His mercy I'll never be the same This love, this love unending, this grace, this grace amazing, my heart, my heart is singing, worthy of all of my praise, yes you are worthy of all of my praise.
Oh, this love, this love unending, and this grace, this grace amazing. My heart, my heart is singing, worthy of all of my praise. Yes, you are worthy. like a God who spoke and there was life and saw how it should be and who is like our God who sent his son to die to set the captive free we will exalt you our God the King over all the earth, we will sing. Be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you're due. Oh, be enthroned, let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume, lifting you where you belong. Oh, be enthroned, be enthroned. Who is like our God, the strength beyond compare, the love that knows no The ever any King, always faithful friend, we will exalt you. I got the key over all the earth. We will sing, being through with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do. We'll be in room and I worship reach you like the sin of perfume lifting you where you belong. And over all of our desires, over all our dreams, we exalt you high, O oh Lord, we enthrone you high, King. We enthrone you high, King. We enthrone you high, King. 
you by the praise that you'll do will be enthroned let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume lifting you where you belong be enthroned be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do Oh, be enthroned, let our worship reach you Like the scent of perfume, lifting you where you belong Oh, be enthroned, be enthroned Oh, be God, Lord, as we sing through these songs about your grace and your mercy and your goodness, God, we know, Lord, that we, we take you for granted. God, that we take your love, we take your mercy for granted. And God, I ask that our prayer would be that you would be enthroned over all of our suffering. God, that you'd be enthroned over all of our fears, all of our sickness, all of our tears. Lord, that you would, you would be enthroned over all of our desires, all of our dreams. And God, that we could truly just stand before you and say, we exalt you high, O oh Lord. We enthrone you, our King. We enthrone you, our Lord and Savior. And God, we just ask, Lord, that you would remind us of who we are. Remind us of what has been done. And as we open your word this morning, God, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I, I just, I love that song. Um, it speaks to my soul. I think sometimes, and, and I'm guilty of, of this as well, but I think sometimes that those of us who believe in salvation through faith in Christ alone, that being saved is an act of God's mercy and His grace. It's all His work, and, and we are undoubtedly clear on that. I think sometimes we think there's no response to that. Uh, we're guilty of just going, okay, thank you, God, for doing all the work. But there is, Jesus did say, pick up your cross and follow me. Come on, let's go. There is a decision to be made. And I'm actually going, beginning after that song I was listening, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to begin with the end of today's message. We have been in, uh, I think this is 50, this is the 65th week. <laughs> we, we have begun, I keep saying that every week because it's shocking, it's such a long series, but 65th week in studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ from all four Gospels. Uh, we could have gone 120 weeks. We're probably, I'm guessing, four or five weeks out from being in our new study of Acts. It's going to be called The Body. It's basically, what's our reaction why are we still here? Why didn't, we, why didn't the moment we get saved, we float up into heaven? And uh, the book of Acts explains our role in, in a narrative. It's so powerful, what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, and it's, it's going to be so powerful. But I, I don't want us to miss that there is a decision to be made as a Christian. Am I going to now follow Jesus? Am I going to follow? Am I going to enthrone him? Uh, Chad wrote that song, and I think it's so good. There is a moment in time. We are not just bobbleheads floating around on a sea of chaos. We may be floating around on a sea of chaos, but there is decisions to be made. Decisions on who am I going to follow? Who am I going to trust? Do I believe? I mean, right now you can't help in this political season. 
You have to ask yourself the question, am I going to have a knot in my stomach every day? Am I going to have nightmares every night? Am I going to allow my life to be ruined by what's going on in Washington, D.C., or am I going to do my best to bless this country with the best vote I can by being as informed as I can and then trusting that, that God is the king of the kingdom of which I am a citizen and I'm going to trust him with that? That's very hard. It is an intellectual decision that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's an intellectual decision that you make. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to enthrone you as king of my life. You've proven your worth of that. And as we continue and we, get, we, we walk towards, towards Golgotha, the place where Jesus Christ was crucified, as we look at his arrest today, you have to ask yourself a question. After all he's done for me, what am I going to do for him? What am I going to do? Am I just going to be a bobblehead, just going, you know, every Christian meme? Yeah, God's good. Can hardly wait till I get to heaven. I hate life. Why doesn't he just fix it for me? Or are we going to go, I'm going to follow him to the cross. I'm following. If I have to be crucified with him, I'll be crucified with him. I am willing to give my life to Christ. Now that he's given his life for us, are we willing to give our lives for him? On to our text. Matthew 26, and we are going to be all over the Gospels. If you thought last week had lots of scripture, it did. Okay, Matthew 26, 47. So Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people. The traitor Judas, and uh, I just want to put a side note on this. If you have not read the Gospels, it is very much God-inspired but man-written. Their feelings for Judas is so clear in the Gospels. They call him, all of them call him the traitor, that guy. I mean, they just, the resentment of this man is clear. Verse 48. The traitor Judas had given them the prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you came for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Sidebar, and I'm going to say this several times in the message, just a side note. I want to make it clear that sometimes bad stuff has to happen for God's goodwill to eventually take place. Remember, he can stop this anytime he wants. That's what he's saying to Peter. As he's picking up the ear from the ground and sticking it on the high priest servant's ear head, he's, he, anytime he wants, he can stop it. And anytime God wants, he can stop this virus. Anytime he wants, he can stop the school system or the politics. Anytime he wants, he can get rid of man's inhumanity to man, but he's choosing not to. Why not, Pastor? Why not? Because he's got a good thing coming out of it. He's going to fix this, but not yet. And when it's time, I promise you he'll fix it. That's what Scripture teaches. But sometimes bad stuff has to happen for God's will, his good will, to eventually take place. And what we're looking at is an example of that. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I a dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day this week. But this is all happening. To fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the Scriptures, at that point, all of the disciples, not one of them, not three of them, but all of the disciples deserted him and fled. So the soldiers, John 18, 12 says, 
So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and they tied him up. First they took him to Annas. Since he was the chief or the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time, Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one, my, one man should die for the people. Just to give you some context of this, Annas is actually, that's Caiaphas' father-in-law, he's actually the power behind the high priest. The position of high priest was a biblical one from the first five books of the law, which was, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, and Deuteronomy. And in that, the high priest position was one tasked by God, and it was a lifetime position. But the Romans who oversaw the Hebrews were afraid of one man getting so much control that they limited the time of which an individual could wear the robes of the high priest. And so, so Annas, who, uh, had, who had five sons, had at one time or another put each of his five sons on the throne. And now it was his son-in-law's turn. He had run out of sons. None of them could serve again. He couldn't serve, so he put his son-in-law as a puppet high priest on that, that throne. He had handed the official position of authority down his family line, and now it was his son-in-law's. Taking Jesus to Anna's room, and it's in, it's in one courtyard we get the sense together, but in one section was Annas, and one section is Caiaphas, the functioning high priest, he takes they, uh, the, the guards first take Jesus to Annas, the power behind the throne, like taking him into his private chambers of the real authority figure before the official trial began. This wasn't legal. It wasn't part of the civil process. But this whole thing wasn't about legal processes or it wasn't about the law. It wasn't about maintaining Roman law. This was about, this was personal. And Annas wanted the first shot at this revolutionary. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another disciple, of, uh, another of the disciples, most likely that's John. That other disciples was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of, uh, one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a, made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. We'll get back to Peter's denial in a few moments. Inside, verse 19 says, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, and this, when he refers to the high priest here, he's talking about, actually about Annas. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I haven't spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those around you who've heard me. They know what I've said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking truth, why are you beating me? Just to be clear again, this was not a legal process. And that is why Jesus called them out. Uh, in English, you don't see it because you don't know the Jewish law or the Roman law, but everything in this trial is illegal. For instance, it is not legal under Jewish law to actually manipulate a person into a confession. Second of all, you, cannot, you were not allowed to bind a man or a woman who had not already been found guilty of something. And most of all, you're not allowed to slap somebody who has not been actually charged with anything. Everything about what we just read was illegal. But this wasn't about legality. This wasn't even about 
rule or law. This was about not liking Jesus. This was personal. It was about revenge, hate, jealousy for a man who not only preached freedom from the tyranny of religion that they had twisted and turned into a personal business. It was about the fact that he fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah in a way they didn't like. And I want you to get that because that's still going on today. The reason they want to kill Jesus is not because they didn't believe he was sent from God. That's not of question. In fact, John tells us in another place that most of the religious people believed that he had been sent from God, but for fear of being cast out of the synagogue, they refused to worship him. The reason they want Jesus dead is because they don't like him. They don't like what he teaches. They don't like They don't like how he interacts with the law. They don't like how he deals with Hebraic things. They don't like him. You see, their personal thought was, their job was to maintain the nationalistic integrity of the Hebrew people. They thought that their job was to maintain the Hebraic law. They thought that the Messiah would fulfill that. And when God's Messiah did not, they thought, as Caiaphas said, it is better that we kill this one man than confuse the whole nation. That's why they wanted him dead. Back to our text. So after this illegal questioning, and after illegal beating him, then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the official high priest. I added the word official there. Matthew 26, 57 tells us what happened there. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders were gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came, at the high, uh, came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and he sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. You see, Peter lost hope. Peter was sure it was going to end. This wasn't the beginning. I, I, again, I want to remind you that often in this upside-down kingdom, what looks like the end is actually the end of the beginning. We let our flesh tell us, oh no, America is falling, while the church may be just rising. You realize that it has always been true, while this is not a verse in Scripture, it's still true, that the blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. It is said by people who study these things, and I can't validate it, but the church in Iran right now is flourishing with new believers. And they're not legally allowed to be believers. The church in the United States is terrified of this becoming illegal. And God says, I didn't ask you to do the legal things. And I'm not talking about programming. I'm talking about being faithful to God unto death. When the government is clearly asking us to not be faithful to God unto death. Not talking about programming at all. I'm not talking about John MacArthur's decision. I'm not talking about the church gathering today and not worrying about viruses. I'm actually talking about the government saying you can't teach scripture. When that happens, we'll go to jail, or I'll go to jail, and I'll ask you now to support my wife. That's what we do. But Peter, in his lack of faith and his fear, thinks that this is the end. So he follows quietly, sneaks in. He gets into the courtyard of the high priest. Inside, the leading priests and the entire council were trying to find witnesses who would lie. God. Okay, I know you know the story. I know you've studied it 700 times. I know you've seen it act out on stages in churches. But would you please pay attention to what's happening here? Pay attention to this. 
This is the high priest. This is the religious leaders of their day. These are the people who taught that you have to keep the Ten Commandments, one of which is do not bear false witness. That is a legal term. That's, we call it lying, but bearing false witness is a legal term. And what are they doing? They're all So Jesus goes to Annas first, and while he's being questioned, the elders and religious leaders who all went to arrest Jesus behind a Roman, uh, 600 Roman warriors and a whole legion of temple guards, they go to arrest Jesus. They take him to Annas' house, and while they go to Annas' house, they leave him alone, and he goes over. Jesus, uh, then they go over and they start getting together with Caiaphas wondering, what are we going to do? And what do they do? They want to gather a crowd in the courtyard and find liars. Find liars. Inside the leading priests and the entire high council, that's the Sanhedrin. These are the religious and legal people of their day were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. With their goal in mind, they make a plan. Instead of making a plan, seeking God, and having their goals manipulated by the most holy, they have a plan. We're going to kill this guy. We just need to find a witness. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they couldn't use anybody's testimony. And Mark 14, 56 tells us why. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. That's the problem with a lie. It contradicts itself. Matthew 26, verse 60. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Those of you who have been studying for the last 65 Sundays with me on this, realize that's exactly what Jesus said, and he said it at least on two different occasions. One is the week before his arrest, and one is really, really early, three and a half years earlier, and it's recorded for us in John chapter 2, where Jesus had said this, that in soon I am going to just, I'm going to tear down the temple and build a new one. But I want to be clear that these guys weren't telling the truth of what Jesus said. They were out of context lying about what Jesus said. Jesus wasn't, they were saying that he's going to rise up with a military and they're going to overthrow all things he break in Roman. That's what they're saying. And they're taking his exact words out of context so that they can have a case against him. Taking Jesus' word out of context to accomplish what you desire is not a new technique of modern religious hucksters. Did you catch that? I want to say it again. Taking Jesus' words out of context to accomplish what you desire is not, new, is not a new technique of modern religious hucksters. We just act like, act like we've never seen it before. But here it is. They had already decided to kill Jesus. All they were looking for was a, re a reason to justify it. Judas was nowhere to be found to witness against Jesus. So they had to ask for volunteers. They had to look for liars. And these two guys, whose words were out of context, who, by the way, I'm going to say one more time, is exactly how Satan has worked since the Garden of Eden. Jesus, or God, told Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit or your eyes will be open. I'm trying to protect you. Don't eat the fruit. And Satan uses a half-truth in order to deceive them. God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. He's trying to keep it from you, is what, they, is what Lucifer told Eve, when God was going, I'm trying to keep it from you. Both are the same thing, only one is a positive protection of a father, and one is keeping a secret from you. This is what Satan does. Satan takes the very precious gifts of the Lord and makes them sound like, like something bad. It's out of context. 
If you understand what God was doing, and now that we have been inflicted by sin in our world, we understand that it was a good thing for them to be naive and ignorant of sin, of right and wrong, of good and evil. But Satan made that look like something they needed. And, and, and even the high priest here, even these liars, they take the words of Jesus and distort them to make him look like a revolutionary, which explains why they showed up with 600 Roman guards, fully armored for war. They were teaching a mistruth that Jesus was going to overthrow them. And what does Jesus do? He heals the only guy who's hit by a sword. And I got to tell you, if Jesus was looking for an army, he picked the wrong one. Because when you try to cut somebody's head off, you don't swing up and down, you swing sideways. And his ear came off because he wasn't swinging sideways. And I'm no military guy. But Jesus' army were not great warriors. But when you couch his words in a lie, you can make it say anything you want. And I'm saying this over and over. That's the fourth time I've said it because I want you to know that Satan is working in the church today by getting people to distort Scripture out of context to get their own will done. My friends, if that's you, you better be careful. You're messing with the inspired Word of God. And those of us who are committed to its context, we're going to call you out. Brothers and sisters, the only way you can protect yourself, right now people are freaking out about clandestine plan to give everybody the mark of the beast. And one of the things that people are saying is that it's going to be in the vaccine against coronavirus. That's nuts. Okay, sorry if you believe that. But let me tell you something else. When the, when the mark of the beast comes along, it ain't going to be a secret. It's not going to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Dear Lord, forgive my sin. I didn't know it was the mark of the beast. Can I have my tattoo removed? That's not how it's going to be. The reason Christians are deceived is the same way the Roman, the Christian, the Jewish followers of Messiah are, are, or of God, Jehovah God, are deceived. They don't like his plan. So they follow Caiaphas. They know that Jesus is the supernatural one, but they follow Caiaphas because they like him better than Jesus. That's one of the reasons why this last few weeks have been so intense with you. You have to understand that the G things that Jesus, let me start, step back. The things that the Father asks of the Son are incredibly difficult. And the things the Father and the Son are going to ask of you are going to be incredibly difficult. But you do it for the joy set before you. You do it for the kingdom of God. You do it because of what's coming, not because of what you experience in the moment. And that is lost on the church. Jesus Christ did not die for your sins so that you could have everything right now. He died for your sins so you could have everything later. He left you here to serve even at great personal cost. I'm sorry, but that is how it is. Matthew 26. One more thought. <laughs> know the scriptures within their context, brothers and sisters. You can't afford to just know it on Sundays. If, if you are worried right now about accidentally taking the mark of the beast, Satan has you so afraid of something stupid that you're not in the Word. If you really want to protect yourself from Lucifer, get into God's Word. Get into God's Word. Know God. Read the Gospel of John. Pick up the New Living Translation and just read it. So what do I go after John? I'll get it done in two days. Read it again. After, two, after the second time, what do I do? Second, read it again. I think I want to start in Revelation. Don't start in Revelation. Start in John. Get to know Jesus. After you've read John seven times, I want you to go to Luke and I want you to read it seven times. After Luke, go to Mark, and I want you to read it seven times. Well, I'm really going to be bored of the life of Christ. That's the problem. 
It really is. I know the story. I know how it plays out. I know everything about it. No, no, you don't. We don't. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. Okay, back to the text. Matthew 26, 62, then the high priest stood up and he said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer these charges? Remember the two guys who lied? Oh, I got to tell you one more thing. I know, I keep going back. Ready, Kevin? Let me tell you what happened to those two guys' testimony. Remember that they found a lot of liars to come up and make accusations against Jesus, and they couldn't use them because they couldn't get their story straight, right? Well, then they find two men that are going to actually misquote Jesus. They're going to quote him directly, but out of context, and they could hardly use them because Mark 14, 59 says this. Jump back, Kevin. I know I'm messing, up, messing you up, if you could do that. Well, I'll read it to you. The reason they couldn't use them is because even they didn't get their story straight. Two people didn't get together and get their story straight. Now, Matthew 26, verse 62. Then the high priest stood up and he said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer these two charges, these beautifully out-of-context, confused charges? What do you have to say to yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay, so, so pause, because you've got to understand again what's going on here, because this is very contextual, very important. Isaiah the prophet had prophesied uh, over 700 years before this moment that the Messiah would stand before accusers like a lamb about to be slaughtered, and he would remain silent. Why should he speak? He was in charge. I remember asking myself that question when I was a kid. Why didn't Jesus just speak up for himself? He didn't have to. He came to die. Why should he defend himself? Did he want to get off? There's no reason for him to defend himself. So he doesn't answer. But then he does answer, and I remember being perplexed about that. But the reason he answered is because when the high priest says, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God, that is a legal authority that the high priest had. That was a legal demand. And Jesus respects the law, even if it hurts him. Out of respect for the law, Jesus actually replies to him. In verse 64, he says, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. Whoa. Now, to us in America, to English readers, that's kind of like, wow, that was very pretty, Jesus. That was very lofty, very poetic of you. But you need to understand that to the religious leaders watching this, to the people hearing this, this was a reference to Old Testament prophecy of who sits on the throne. This is actually a claim that not only am I the Messiah, because that was the question, tell me plainly, Caiaphas says, are you the Messiah? Well, he not only says that he's the Messiah, the sent one, he says he's God. You're going to see me sitting at his right hand. I'm going to have authority. I am, going, I am going to be coming from the clouds of heaven. In other words, I am coming with God on the white horse. I am that man. And if you doubt that, if you think I'm making more of it, look at Caiaphas's response. Now read critically. Read the Bible critically. If you want to know what they thought of what was said, look at the reaction. Then the high priest tore his clothing. This is important, so pay attention. He tore his clothing to show his horror, and he said, blasphemy. Do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. Here's an interesting little factoid. Caiaphas ripping his clothing was actually against the Hebrew law, according to Leviticus 21.10. It actually says that he has no authority to rip his clothing, his garment. Why? Because they weren't his garments. They weren't his. Not only were the garments not his, 
The position wasn't his. He, God, is the only high priest of Israel ever, and he has allowed man to represent him. His job, the job of the high priest, the human high priest, was to teach the words of God, to seek and fulfill the works of God, not his own fleshly desires, those of his father-in-law or of the nation. The job of the high priest was not to figure out what was best planned for the people. It was to seek God. This isn't unique to the high priest. It's the unique call of a pastor. A pastor's job isn't to tell you what to do politically or what's going wrong or what he thinks is going to happen. A pastor's job is to study the scriptures and pray for you without ever leaving that. It's not his job to tell you how to raise your kids. Most of you know that pastors are lousy at raising their own kids. It's not a pastor's job to tell you how to do life. It's a pastor's job to study the scriptures and pray, which, by the way, is why we have deacons in the church. Did you know that? The reason that we have an elder council in the New Testament church and we have a deacon council is because God didn't want the elders or the pastors to be obsessed with the physical needs of the church. He wanted the elders to be committed to the study of the word, teaching, and prayer. He wanted the deacons to take care of paying the bills, making sure the widows were cared for, and the flock is cared for. That's why there's two leading bodies. One leading body is a spiritual body and another is a physical body. That's great leadership. Why? Because God wanted the pastors to commit themselves to the study of scriptures so they didn't speak for themselves or their community or their culture or their nation. Now you know why I avoid political conversation. It has nothing to do with my task. Now, if I want to run for mayor of Lufkin, I should quit pastoring and run for mayor. That's a part-time job, so I could probably do both. Not as well, but I probably could. But if I'm called to run for president, I shouldn't be a pastor. They're not the same thing. The fact remains that as a man of God, I'm to point people to God no matter what happens in this culture. I was asked recently, so you're okay with America falling apart? Which man are you asking? The citizen of the United States or the citizen of heaven? Because they're two different people. The fact is, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, this sucks. If we get everything worked out, if coronavirus goes away, we cure it, and they come up with a pill that will help us live to be 600 years old. And everything's great there. We get diagnosed with cancer next year and we all die. That is the result of sin from the Garden of Eden. And we keep acting like we can make heaven here in America. We cannot. Heaven is heaven. We're Christ reigns. Heaven is not a democracy. It's a theocracy where God is in charge. If you have a hard time submitting to the government authorities, you're going to hate heaven. Because nobody's going to even ask you to vote on what we do there. It's God. God is in charge. He's in charge there. And if you have accepted his offer and you have said, I confess you as Lord, I'm a sinner, you redeemed me, and I made you Lord of my life, then he should be leading our lives now, not the nationalistic governmental concerns. Now, I want to be careful. I think you should vote. I think you should speak up in the fruit of the Spirit about what blesses a culture. When God told the Jews under Babylonian captivity... How to live in that culture, he told them to bless that culture. And part of that is praying for the success of it. You need to be politically active. You need to vote for who you think best reflects the values of heaven. And I'm going to get as close as I can to being political without. I don't understand how anybody could vote for the murder of babies and say, well, God's not on the other side. I, I mean, he's not on either side. But that is a moral crisis. That's a problem. One side may have a pig in charge, but the other side is killing it, people. 
And we got to step back and be wise. You can vote the big D. You can vote the big, uh, the big R. You can vote for the donkey. You can vote for the elephant. You can vote for the ostrich. But you have to be, con- I, don't, I don't know what an ostrich is, but you have to be convinced in your heart that that's where that best will bless a culture that. That is it. God is still in control of you. And at the end of the day, we're going to lose the political battle and we are going to win the war. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. For those who now don't go to Carpenter's Way and are going to want to comment on what I just said politically, don't waste your time. I'm right. I'm right. We should bless this culture, and we don't bless a culture by killing millions of unborn babies. Bottom line. If, if we could get rid of that issue, if everybody could agree that we're not going to kill unborn babies, then it's a free-for-all for who you vote for. But you've got you to put that in the pot. One guy may have a big mouth and may be immoral, but the other one's immoral by killing. So whatever you do, and I, I mean it, seek God's will. But I assure you, socialism isn't the answer, especially when they start removing God. Okay, I'm done with the politics. Back to Jesus. But you know what I'm saying, and I'm not advocating politics, and I'm not afraid to advocate politics, but the job of a servant of the Most High, whether he's the high priest or a pastor, is not for us to make sure our thoughts are taught, but that God's will is done. Does that make sense? Even if it's unpopular. Even if it goes against our own desires. But Annas, his boys, and now Caiaphas were not working for the Lord. So he could tear his robes. He saw them as his robes. He saw them as his robes. That might explain Jerry Falwell Jr. And I'm mad about it. The reason he can take pictures of himself in inappropriate ways, disgusting ways, and then post them on Instagram and then go, I'm just a bad boy, is because he doesn't understand the role God has put him in. And now he needs to be removed and sent to an island somewhere off of Tahiti where it's hot all the time. I know I'm not very merciful this morning, but it's just how it is. And your job is to hold me in account. If I start beating Julie, you should tie me up, throw me on a rowboat, and put me out to the Gulf of Mexico. You should put bacon around my neck and call for the, for, for the, uh, for the sharks. Well, where's the mercy in that? The mercy in that is before you do that, somebody's going to come and tell me. Kip Haver's going to say, Mark, that's not okay. If I don't listen, it's not a mistake. It's blatant, willful wickedness. It's not falling into sin. It's jumping in the lake of disgusting. And it's time for the church to say it. It's time for the church to say that if you have walked an aisle when you were five years old, but your life is absolutely filled with the fruit of the flesh, you may not be saved. You should be afraid for your soul. Well, everybody sins, Mark. I'm glad you asked. Caiaphas turns to the crowd and he asks, verse 66, what's your verdict? He asks the the crowd. Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face. They beat him with their fists. Some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you that time? Caiaphas, the religious leaders in the crowd, only had two choices after Jesus had just said what he said. They either bow the knee because he truly is God or illegally convict him of lying and blaspheming and having him killed. There were no other options. He couldn't just be a good guy. 
He's a good guy that's mentally unstable. That's not an option. He was very clear. My question for you today is, we've been studying this for 64 weeks. Who do you say Jesus is? Seriously. Who is Jesus to you? And I know 99% of you watching this morning are going to say, He's Lord. Are you treating Him like He's Lord? Are you? Is your life reflected in a belief that God is in control? Are your words seasoned with trust in the Lord or seasoned in panic? Are you trusting in Him? You have a choice. You can enthrone Him or you can continue to just whatever. Mark 14, 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and she said, hey, you're one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, the New Living Translation says. He said, and he went out into the entryway and then a rooster crowed. Peter actually uses a legal phrase here, and I want to be clear that his first of, uh, of, his, of his denials is not out of control emotionally. There's three times that he denies Christ, just like Christ said he would. The first one was very under control. He wasn't panicked. He wasn't freaking out. The, uh, the, again, as, as I've told you in the past, the, uh, the way that the Greek is written, it, t- it often explains the emotional state of the person saying what they're saying. And Jesus was not, or Peter was not freaking out here. He's not out of control. In fact, he calmly uses a legalese phrase. What he says is a legal defense. I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. Innocent. You've got the wrong guy. Verse 69. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. This phraseology tells us that Peter's now getting a little nervous. In fact, the Greek tense of this phrase here infers that this time he doesn't just say it once, he says it over and over. I don't know what you're talking about. Stop it. You're wrong. You've got the wrong guy. Don't be convicting me like that. Knock it off. Quit talking behind my back. He's, you are absolutely wrong over and over and over. What's the Shakespearean line? Methinks thou dost protest too much? A little later, actually Luke 22 tells us that it was an hour later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter. So they're watching him. They finally leave him alone. Boy, that guy is unhinged. But about an hour later, it tells us that some of them had been watching him and they confront him. You must be one of those because you're a Galilean. Why would they accuse him of being a Galilean? It is reasonable to believe that his dialect, the dialect, the way you spoke, the accents, and the verbiage you used would tell which region of the Holy Land you were from or from that that region, part of the world. And Peter was clearly a Galilean. There's no question about it. This time, Peter freaks out, and he swears. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know who this man is you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. This time, Peter says, if he's lying, the God of the Hebrews that they all love and respect, the God of the Hebrews can condemn him into hell. That's what he says. The God of the Hebrews. You know who that is, right? I mean, he just said who he was. Let me remind you who he is. Luke 22, verse 61 says, at that moment, okay, you know what that means. Right after Peter says, I swear to God I don't know this man. And he can condemn me, God, Jehovah God can condemn me if I'm lying to you. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh, that had to stink, right? Seriously, none of you have ever sinned and thought the Lord was staring at you? 
You and I knew I shouldn't do that. I haven't, but I'm sure you have. Just kidding. Lighten up. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That guy, you know, who's the God of the Hebrews? Who can condemn people into hell? How would Peter have known that? Because he watched him do it and bless people out of hell and condemnation for three and a half years. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. I bet they did. What was it he was thinking? Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you don't even know me. How do we know what Peter was thinking? Because most of us believe that Peter told Luke and Mark much of the story. Peter actually told him what he was thinking. It was when he looked at me, I realized, oh my goodness, I just did what he said I would do. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, this is going to get weird because I want to take a couple minutes and I want to I branch off for a second. But I want to make it clear that it wasn't the lie or even Peter using God's name in vain that would condemn Peter. Actually, it wasn't Judas being a turncoat that would condemn him to hell. Those were, those were symptoms of a disease. You see, again, Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah wrote this. He, referring to the Messiah, referring to Jesus, was despised and rejected. He was a man of many sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. He, we turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. But he was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Judas turning on Jesus, Peter's denial of even knowing Jesus, your lust problem, your anger problem, your fear, your rebellion is not the reason you will be condemned. Those are symptoms of the real issue. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. Forget the word glorious, just set it aside. God has a standard. In order to be saved, you need to meet that standard. Everyone's sinned, we all fall short of it. And because of that, the beginning of Romans 6.23 tells us the cost. The wages of sin is death. A horrible death. A horrific death. Punishable death. Eternal death. That's the cost. That is the cost of sin that we just learned everybody has. Judas had it. Peter had it. You have it. I have it. Adam and Eve had it. Cain had it. Abel had it. Everybody has sinned. But here's what Jesus came to do. Romans 6.23, the second half. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When Jesus, the God of the Hebrews, that, that Peter had just invited to condemn him, just a few moments before, looked at Peter. It was not with anger or resentment because Jesus was in this very position, this horrible, terrible, humiliating, and painful, wonderful position so that neither Peter or Judas or you and I would have to be condemned. He would not remove our condemnation. He would take our condemnation on himself. You see, the reason Jesus was whipped was not because that's just how it played out, but because what we deserved, what Peter deserved, what Judas deserved, what you and I deserved, Jesus took on himself. A beating, humiliation, hanging naked on a cross, and then death. 
That's what we deserve. You can spend your whole life thinking how pretty you are, how wonderful you are. You can have every psychologist in the world telling you that you're fine, that everybody's broken, and you just have to be okay with your brokenness. While Jesus comes and he says, we sang a few moments ago, I came to heal you of all that. By my stripes, you'll be healed. You won't necessarily be rich in this life, but you'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams in the next. I've established a kingdom. I adopted you into that kingdom. And there, there's no sickness. There's no gossip. There's no sin. There's no hatred. There's only hope, peace, joy, and fellowship. Peter would not be condemned because of his, because of his statement and sin. Judas was not condemned because of what he did. Those were manifestations of the reason they would be condemned. He, Jesus was condemned for Peter, Jewish, or Judas, your sin, my sin. It was what he wanted to do, and that's why he didn't defend himself or make a case for his acquittal, because he didn't want to be acquitted. He wanted to take our sin. He had a clear argument. I didn't do nothing. But if he makes that case, you and I have to stand there in his place. Every last one of us. He was being condemned for Judas, Peter, you and me. And yet Peter would be forgiven, and in my understanding, and there's people who disagree, Judas was not. The Bible infers that Judas was a man to perdition. He was one that Jesus said, I would lose, but he was chosen for this. Despite his sin being paid for, Peter does become redeemed and Judas does not. And why? Matthew 27, 3 through 5. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus, and this is going on at the same time in a different place, when he realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I've sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. Interesting phraseology. They retorted, you want to know their hearts? What do we care? Just to be clear, they didn't care about justice or righteousness or honor or innocence or guilt. They just cared that Jesus died so that the nation could stay intact. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and hanged himself. I want to be very careful here because, uh, and well, let me walk through this. Judas does seem to realize that he had done the wrong thing. Jesus, whom he refers to as an innocent man, <laughs> is about to be killed, which seems to shock him. He seems surprised that they're going to kill him. I guess he just thought they were going to beat him up a little bit, and that made him feel good. He even tries to undo his sin, I think, by returning the money. He thought that the Jewish leaders, if he said, I was wrong, I lied, I, was, I did the wrong thing, I guess he thought that they would go, okay, we'll take the money, stop the case. But they weren't interested in the truth. They were interested in having Jesus killed. Even realizing this, though, Judas, rather than running to Jesus or repenting or sitting and changing, he once again takes things into his own hands and into his own life. Now look, I'm, I'm not saying that you go to hell because you commit suicide. That's a Catholic doctrine that's not founded in Scripture. But I want to make it clear that what Judas does in this scenario is exactly what he did when Mary was anointing Jesus' feet with oil. 
He should have kept his mouth shut. Jesus can handle himself. If he didn't want his feet anointed with oil, he would have said, stop anointing my feet with oil and sell it and give the money to the poor. But he didn't. He let her. But Judas, in his flesh, takes things into control. Hey, this is what I think is right. I want to do the right thing. Stop it. Takes things into his own hand. Judas, who all along could have said, I don't want to do any of this, does it. He takes things into his own hands. And I would argue that he takes things into his own hands here. Because instead of doing what Peter did, and by the way, what did Peter do? I don't know, but he didn't kill himself. He wept just like Judas. I might even make the case that I told a couple people this week that I was talking with. I actually could probably make the case that, that Peter's sin was worse than Judas's. I mean, he actually says, I don't even know this guy. I want to remind you that Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. <laughs> so is Peter in hell? The answer is absolutely not. We know that. Why not? Because Jesus took the condemnation for Peter. Actually, he took the condemnation for Judas, but the difference is, a week later, Jesus and Peter are having breakfast. A week later, they're burying Judas. You see, I got news for you, and for those of you who struggle with depression and, and, and real illness, I, I want to be careful. I get it. If you're bipolar, that's a medical condition like cancer, and that's got to be dealt with. But I, I do want to say this, that how you feel does not dictate what is true. True is truth. This is a life of faith. We enthrone Jesus. Ch uh, Chad exhorts us to enthrone Jesus because it's unnatural for us. To look on Facebook and see some of the stupid things that are written that go against what you know to be true or believe to be true makes your blood boil. But you have to ask yourself, do I trust Jesus? It's unnatural. Faith is not a natural thing or everybody would have it. Peter doesn't kill himself. He just goes locks himself in the upper room with the other disciples and keeps his mouth shut. And how does Jesus, he like, he like winks at Jesus like, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, what a ride. Judas ends it. Those are two different things. We act like in the church that when somebody is sorry that they got caught, that's the same as repentance. It ain't. That's being sorry you got caught. Repentance is what happens a month later. How then do I live? If I realize I've sinned against God and I bow the knee before Him and I pour my soul before Him, I'm saying, lead my life now. And I've I got to tell you something I'm struggling with right now. And I had somebody recently accuse me of this. You used, used to be a man of grace and now you seem to, to be teaching that we have to follow Jesus. I am. I was reminded in our study of Jesus Christ that that was not an option. And to be clear, Lots and lots of people who claimed to be disciples of Jesus walked away because he was too demanding on their life. So let me be clear. If you truly want to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to leave Christianity and be a follower of Jesus because Christianity today has been watered down into some self-help, self-centeredness. And I am telling you that you are the difference between a sinner who gets eternal life and a sinner who's condemned is not that they sin. It is what you do when you realize you've sinned. Run to Jesus. You're going to screw up. We're going to keep screwing up. Fellowship is why we, we need to remind each other it's going to be okay. But even in the church when somebody messes up, we walk them out back to flog them instead of to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Be like Peter. Judas is condemned because he doesn't run back to Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, run back to Jesus. More on that in the coming weeks. Acts 3, 19 to 20 is for you this morning. 
Repent of your sins and turn to God so your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. If the Lord is speaking to you this morning, please run to him. You don't have to run to the pastor. I'm always here. We're here for you. Just run to Jesus. I know life is crazy. I know it. Jesus said it would be crazy. Now we have to take his word for it. Trust him. Back to our story, John 18, verse 28. All right, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture, so buckle up. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it... <laughs> oh, this is stupid. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate Passover. <laughs> For the past seven hours, they have been breaking the law. But they won't go into the Roman courtyard because it would violate the law. So Pilate, the governor, went out to, uh, to them and asked, what's your charge against this man? Listen to their answer. Listen to their answer. You've got to see the humor in this. Well, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. Oh, okay. That's a good point. So what's his crime? We don't want to talk about the crime. We wouldn't give him to you if there wasn't a crime. See, we're telling you there was a crime. That's all you need to know. There's a crime. Well, what's the crime? Yes, that's the crime. I mean, that's, this is the dumbest thing in all of history. But they weren't in charge. You see, there's a hundred moments that this could have stopped. Anybody going, wait a minute, we can't do this. It could have stopped, but it wasn't going to stop because Jesus was in charge. We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. They retorted. Verse 31. Then take him away and judge him by your own law. In other words, I don't want to deal with this. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish religious leaders replied. <laughs> oh, okay, that's what you want. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way in which he would die. Then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish religious leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Luke 23, 4 picks up there. Pilate then turned to the leading priests in the crowd and he said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. But he is causing riots by the teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea and Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, is he a Galilean, Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod, Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was delighted for the opportunity to see Jesus. Why? Because he had heard about him, and he had been hoping for a long time to see him do his show. I, I, I changed that. It says perform a miracle. By the way, for those of you who don't know if Jesus claims to be supernatural or he was supernatural, this is one of the most powerful evidences. Here is a non-follower of Jesus who's been hearing about the miracles and are so convinced, and he's so convinced that Jesus is in fact a miracle worker, he's excited to be able to see him because he wants to, wants to get him to do a miracle. It wasn't just the disciples that said he was doing miracles. Everybody knew it in his time. Verse 9, he asked Jesus a question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. He stood there smiling. I, I added that. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him, purple, and they sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. 
isn't that nice? We hate the same person. Is that crazy? Aren't these little details awesome? I mean, you could sit there and go, well, what's the point? That's the point. The whole world was together on killing an innocent man. And that's what you do. We, boy, Pilate, good to see you again. Let's have a beer. I know. Remember when he killed that innocent man? That makes friends of people. Have you ever broken the law with some, Not you guys. You become friends. Matthew 27, 15. We're almost done, probably. Now was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to, re uh, to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Even he knew. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Leave this innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders per, uh, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, well, then what should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him! Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, kill him! Crucify him! John 19.1, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-whipped tip, tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they, they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again, and he said to the people, I'm going to bring, out, uh, I'm going to bring him out to you now. But understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I, I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. And I just want to add one thing. The reason that Pilate was frightened is when in connection with his wife's dream, he doesn't believe that, that Jesus is, is only God. He believes he is a son of God. And remember the Roman belief system. All of those weird stories you had to read about multiple gods in school, they believe this stuff. So it is within his belief system that Jesus is merely a son of God with supernatural powers. He thinks he's looking at Zeus or Hermes. It made sense to him. He was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and he asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? You know what he's doing? He's looking for a reason to let him off. Pilate demanded, don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to let that one sink in. The one, who handed you over, uh, the one who handed me over to you has a greater sin. I, I just want you to know, okay, this is not very pastoral of me, but I want you to know I've always struggled with that sentence. I don't know if he's referring to the Jewish people, the high priest, or God himself. Incredible. Verse 12. Then Pilate tried again to release him. But the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. 
when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And why would, why would that move him? Because surviving is the most sacred of all instincts. And Pilate realizes at that point that these Jewish people, if he doesn't kill Jesus, are going to go to Caesar and have him killed. His job in Jerusalem was to keep the peace. He doesn't care about a guy named Jesus. He just wants everybody to shut up and leave him alone. Well, now they said, if you, they, they blackmail him. If you release him, if you don't kill this guy, we're going to tell Caesar you're no friend of Caesar's. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but the Roman king. Wow. Decision made. We enthrone you, O Caesar, as our king. The leading priest shouted back, We have no king but Caesar. And Pilate turned Jesus over them to be crucified. They knew who he was, and they decided to kill him. You know who he is. What are you going to do with him? Lord Jesus, be the Lord of our lives. In the good stuff and the not so good. From the Holy Spirit that lives within your children, make us courageous like you were who for the joy set before you endured the pain and the shame of the cross. And I just want to add this morning, thank you for taking my condemnation on your flesh. If somebody watching today doesn't know you, may today be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.